Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. My name is Ashley, and I am planning my own unconventional budget micro-wedding in the middle of a pandemic. If you don't feel represented in mainstream wedding media, if you haven't been dreaming about your wedding day since you were six years old, and if you don't want to have an Instagram wedding, then you are in the right place. Welcome back to the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. Today's episode is all about things you can skip at your wedding reception. So this list is based on a recent article by Insider.com. They got a bunch of wedding experts together and they asked them, what are some things that couples can skip at their wedding reception? So that's the part after the ceremony, the ceremonies where you're getting legally married and the reception is like the dinner, the party, the dancing afterwards. So they got all these experts together and they came up with 11 things that you should skip. So in today's episode, I'm going to go through all those 11 things and kind of give you my opinion, you know, pros and cons of skipping it, some alternatives, um, some hot takes, some cold takes, some strong opinions, you know, whatever, whatever you come to expect from me. So let's dive right in. The first thing the article says you can skip is individual place cards and instead do a big seating chart. So individual place cards would be when you show up to a wedding and there's a table and there's like 150 little um place cards little like they basically look like little business cards um on there and you have to find your name and you pick it up and it tells you where you are sitting um sometimes there's something like that out front and then there's also something waiting for you like on your exact seat if the couple cares where at the table you're sitting but uh for just simplicity's sake let's pretend they don't care where you're sitting they just care what table you go to so this article is saying to skip those little place cards and instead just do a big seating chart so that's where you'd have like a big um poster board or sometimes people like to put them on glass or on a mirror or something like that. And you'd have like table one, John, Joe, Mary, Jane, table two, you know, that sort of thing. So I can kind of see pros and cons to both situations here. I think if you do decide to do the seating chart, um, obviously the pros would be you are saving a lot of time. It would take forever to write out those individual place cards. They can also get really expensive. Um, You know, the 
the obvious way to do it is just a piece of paper, but people get really creative. I've seen like little wood stands, people writing on like little like rock gemstone things. Um, a wedding I went to, they wrote everyone's name on oyster shells. Um, and I was actually in the wedding and the bride told me that like, like these were legit, like her and her husband ate a bunch of oysters and then cleaned out the shells and wrote in them, um, which is kind of fun. But it can, yeah, it can definitely get very expensive and time consuming to write out that many uh, little individual place cards. It can also be kind of confusing for people uh, when they show up. It's a bit overwhelming to see like, you know, 150 uh, please, pieces of paper or oyster shells <laughs> and to try to find the one that is yours. Um, and then, you know, a big one that a lot of people don't think about is the elements. If you're having a wedding outside, what happens if the wind blows and all those place cards go flying? Um, that is definitely something I've seen happen and uh, is is a struggle. However, on the other hand, um, the nice thing about doing those individual place cards is if you have one extra person or let's say somebody, you know, drops out last minute, something like that, you decide to make a switch. It's super easy to just say, oh, um, Joe is coming. So, okay, quick, we're going to, you know, write out a place card for Joe. He's going to be at table eight. And then, oh, it looks like Cindy's not coming. Okay, remove Cindy's card. Oh, now we can move Joe to table six. So we write out a new card, Joe table six. Whereas if you had, you know, printed this giant thing at, um, you know, the, the print shop, <laughs> like a big, you know, poster board with everyone's name and the table number, like that's kind of set in stone. You're not able to make any changes. Or if you have it all like, you know, beautifully written out on a mirror or on a piece of glass, you might be able to make some changes. It might be difficult, especially if you paid like a, an artist or a calligrapher to do that for you. It's harder to make those changes. Place cards also allow you to set up all the names alphabetically. So uh, when somebody comes up to the table to find their card name, you could have someone standing there, or you could have a little sign that says, hey, all the all the cards are alphabetical. So people go, oh, great. Like my name's Joe, I go to the J's or, you know, by last name, whatever it is. Whereas usually the seating charts are done by table, which totally makes sense as the couple as you're making the list, you know, you are designing it by table, but it's harder if you are Joe and you show up and you see 15 tables and now you have to go through each one to find your name. So pros and cons to both. I think the decision really does come down to your guest size um, and how fancy you want to be. So for our wedding, for example, we're going to have 25 guests. Uh, we're not doing anything. We're not doing place cards or a seating chart. It's a very chill wedding in a house kind of vibe. Uh, people will sit on the couch, they'll sit on stools, that sort of thing, wherever they want. It doesn't matter. Uh, we have enough seating for everybody. Um, but if you were doing something a little bit more fancy or you do are having, you know, tons and tons of people, you're definitely going to want to pick one of these routes. I think it also depends if you want to get kind of creative, if you really love the look of a big seating chart on, you know, an old vintage glass door, or I know some people like to use the seating charts to also double or sorry, the place cards to also double as the wedding favor. So if you were giving away like candles, you would have, you know, a little candle holder and everyone's name is on their candle or something like that. You can also get really creative with it. Like I said, my friend did the oyster shells um, at another wedding that uh, my partner went to. They had, instead of everyone's name, they had like an old photo of everyone, either from their own weddings or them as a kid or something like that. And that was kind of fun to like find your photo. So it totally depends on you, how creative you want to get, how many guests you have. Um, but I do have to say before we move on, I am a big fan of seating charts. I'm sure I've talked about this in previous episodes. Every wedding I've been to has had a seating chart or place cards. I've never been to one that had nothing that was just like a free for all. And I don't know if maybe that's just like a cultural thing. Um, maybe it's just not done where I'm from. Um, but I really don't understand why you wouldn't 
have one. Um, I don't find it like stifling or, or suffocating to show up at a wedding with 150 other people and to be told where to sit. I think that totally makes sense. I would never want to try to figure it out for myself. Um, it's so helpful to guests to show up and say, okay, table eight, great. I know where I'm going. I know there is a seat reserved for me. I know, you know, I get to sit next to my partner or my family. Uh, there's going to be people I know at the table, just no chaos. I don't have to panic and run around and try to save seats and figure out where to sit. And I just think it gets really messy for your guests. You know, I've heard stories of someone saying like, oh, I sat at this table and my husband had to sit three tables down and my kid had to sit, you know, at another table because there wasn't enough space for us. Or, you know, um, on the other side, there's also a lot of couples will say, okay, we're not doing a seating chart, but then we have to actually have more tables and more chairs than we have people. And you might think, oh, that's no big deal. You know, we'll invite 110 people, we'll get 115 chairs, five extra chairs. Okay, you probably actually need like 20 or 30 extra chairs because people will not want to sit right next to people, especially people they don't know. So you might have tables of eight and let's say a family of three and another family of three show up to the table, they're going to leave those empty seats. And all of a sudden your table of eight has become a table of six. So you do need to have extra tables and it's not just extra tables, it's extra chairs, it's extra decor if you're doing centerpieces or things like that. So that really adds up, especially if you're paying to rent extra tables and extra chairs and then making all that decor. It also takes up more space. Um, so you need a larger venue or you're going to be, you know, um, keeping things a little bit more cramped. So just overall, I really, I don't understand why you wouldn't have a seating chart. Um, I know some people think it's like, oh, it's so formal. Like, I don't want to tell people where to sit. Trust me, people want to know. They want to know where to sit. And it would just be, yeah, I would hate to see all my guests confused and, you know, trying to find a spot and stressed about sitting with their people. I would also hate it if like, no offense, but you know, I would want to at least reserve tables for the wedding party and my close loved ones. Like I would want my parents and my siblings sitting closest to me and not my third cousin who I had to invite out of pity, that sort of thing. So by the time you reserve tables for the wedding party and the parents and the siblings, then you might as well just keep going. Just reserve them all. It's totally fine. People appreciate it. Go for it. I'm very much team seating chart. <laughs> okay, moving on. The second thing that insider.com tells you to skip is champagne toasts. So Champagne toast, this usually happens, the couple will go around from table to table during the reception, and they'll all like raise a glass um, at the table to sort of toast the wedding. This is their chance to say hi to everyone. Usually the photographer will come around with them and take a photo. So there's pros and cons to this. I think doing a champagne toast is a good idea if the alternative is a receiving line. And a receiving line is where the couple is sort of at the front of the reception. And as people enter, they get to stop talk to the couple, take some photos, and then they go on to their table. A receiving line usually takes forever because you have to talk to, you know, each individual guest, get a photo with them. Some people don't know, uh, you know, when to stop talking. It's also annoying for your other guests because they just have to stand in line and wait. Whereas if you're doing the champagne toast, you kind of talk to a table at a time. You don't have to do individual photos with each guest. Um, and the rest of your guests are just going about their business, eating dinner, drinking, that sort of thing. They don't have to wait. So I think the idea of going around and doing a toast is a really good one. Um, it does depend on how you want to interact with your guests, though. If that receiving line is really important to you, you like that tradition, you want to have that one-on-one -on -one time, that one-on-one -on -one photo, then awesome. I suggest doing it with a smaller 
uh, guest count. If you have like, you know, 150, 200, 250 guests, that's going to be a very long time spent in the receiving line. Um, other couples, I know they just say, hey, you know, we're not doing a receiving line. We're not doing toast. Just meet us on the dance floor. You want to talk, come and find us, um, which, you know, totally cool. However you want to interact with your guests. If you do decide to do the champagne toast, I think you can definitely cut down on costs. Um, it doesn't have to be a champagne toast. If you're already serving, you know, wine or a signature cocktail or alcohol, you know, whatever you're already serving at your wedding, you can just go around with your cup already full of whatever the drink is. And everyone at the table will just lift up their cups with whatever they're drinking. You don't have to do a separate um, champagne toast. It can just be a, a toast with whatever you happen to be drinking. If you do want to do something special, it doesn't have to be champagne as in, you know, from the champagne region of France. Um, it can just be some sort of like sparkling wine, some sort of a bubbly situation. You can definitely get, um, you know, some Proseccos or something like that for a lot cheaper than real champagne. You can also get a lot smaller glasses. Don't get those really tall, you know, champagne flutes. You can get sort of the smaller, I'm making the, the sign with my hands, but you can't see me, um, sort of the smaller, more like shallow glasses that are almost like, um, just like a few mouthfuls of, of liquid really would fit into them. And you can kind of have those like pre-poured and you would have usually like a server follow you around and go from table to table and everyone grabs one of those. That would save a lot of money as your alcohol is going to go a lot further. All right, let's dive in to number three. The third thing that this article tells you to skip is trendy food walls. So like that, I think they mean like a donut wall. Um, and I'm sure if you have uh, gone to any weddings in the last like what, 10 years, you've seen donut walls or you've at least heard of them, seen them on Pinterest or Instagram. And I kind of get what the article is saying here. So their first big issue is it's unsanitary. And especially with COVID, um, you know, in this day and age, you want to make sure your wedding is as sanitary and hygienic as possible. So I totally understand the idea of having a bunch of donuts hanging off of wooden pegs and people going up with their hands and touching them uh, is kind of gross. You inevitably will end up touching the donut, you know, behind your donut or God forbid you pull one off and say, oh, gross, I don't want this one. And you put it back like ugh, it gets ugly. So that's definitely a concern. If you want to do the donut wall, make sure that you're really thinking about that. How are you going to make this more sanitary? Are there gloves? Are there um, tongs? Do you have like a donut wall attendant who wears gloves and gets the donuts for people? Another concern is the elements. So again, if you're having your wedding outside, what about bugs? Like, can you really have a donut wall in your backyard for hours? Of course not. You're going to have all the flies and ants and everything all over it. Um, what happens if it rains? What happens if it gets windy? Is that donut wall going to fall over? What happens if it's sunny? Is all the icing going to melt? Um, basically, donut walls and outside probably do not mix, I would say. <laughs> Keep your donut wall inside or whatever other sort of food wall you're doing. I think indoors is the right call. The last thing that this article brings up when it comes to these trendy food walls is that, you know, they're actually not that trendy anymore. The novelty is kind of worn off. And I do agree, it's not a new thing. Like a donut wall might have been revolutionary in like 2012, uh, in 2021, 2022, 2023. Like everyone's seen a donut wall. It's not going to get that same sort of like, ooh, and ah, when people walk into your space, people aren't going to be like, you know, fighting to get a selfie with it. But at the same time, like a donut is a donut. People love donuts. <laughs> um, no one's going to be mad to see a donut donut wall, uh, unless they really don't like donuts, but whatever, like, you know, the people who want to eat donuts are, are going to be thrilled to see it and happy to eat the donuts. So I think it's just sort of weighing up the pros and cons. Um, if you're able to do it in a really sanitary way, if you're able to keep it indoors, you don't have to worry about the elements. And if you're able to do it sort of inexpensively, because a lot of times those walls, like just, you know, renting the wall, bringing it in, having it set up, that is a ton of cost. And that's not even including the actual donuts or whatever food you happen to have on there. And if you don't really care at 
that it's, you know, not a novelty anymore. If you want it to be the most like fun and trendy thing ever, then a donut wall is probably a little bit passe. But if you're just like, hey, you know what, we've got a hookup or like my mom actually made a donut wall for us so it's free or we're huge donut enthusiasts you know every weekend we go out and and eat a donut and we love it so much we really want to do this then totally go for it I think it's a great idea um but if you're not so committed to the wall there are lots of ways to serve donuts you can just have them you know on plates people enjoy people enjoy their donuts however they're going to get them uh, don't worry about that people will be very happy to get their donut on a wall on a plate um, in a bowl. I don't know. Other ways you can serve donuts. No one's going to be mad about how the donut is coming. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The fourth thing that you can skip at your reception is the getaway car. So this seems to be a trend that has come from the movies when the couple runs off either right after their ceremony or like midway through their reception. Um, you picture the scene with me. All of the guests are outside sort of creating like an aisle. The It's always a bride and a groom. Um, will run through the aisle, sort of cheering and shrieking, smiling to each other, and they dive into their limo, and they take off, and everyone's cheering, and the limo's, you know, honking its horn, and there's cans tied to the back of the car. Um, you can see it, right? So I think that is definitely a movie scene we are all familiar with. Um, the reality is, though, that's not usually how it works. Usually the couple has to stay until the end of the night. Um, I, I can't think of a wedding where the couple gets to leave before their guests or, you know, before the majority of their guests. It would feel so strange to me that if the couple took off like halfway through dinner and I was like, wait, wait a minute, are we supposed to still keep keep going? Should I go back inside? Should I keep eating? Should Are, are we dancing without them? It's very odd. It's not really a thing that people do in real life. Um, and usually the couple has to stay till the end of the night just to make sure that, you know, everything's been cleaned up. They've gathered all of their gifts. The rentals are, you know, put away. They've paid everyone who needs to get paid and that sort of thing. So the reality is likely no one is going to see you when you leave your wedding. <laughs> um, and honestly, usually you probably don't want anyone to see you at this point. You are maybe a little intoxicated, very exhausted. Uh, if you're wearing any makeup or anything like that, it has run down your face, your tie is loosened, your shoes are off. It's not the prettiest sight. Um, I'm reminded of my sweet, sweet friend whose wedding I was in, who at the end of the night was like sitting on the ground in her 
big white puffy dress eating cake like with her hands from the box and I think she's holding like a lobster or something in the other hand <laughs> as we like cleaned up around her it was hilarious but that certainly wasn't a moment that she wanted you know all of her guests around and um, cheering for so it's just really not a thing that is done um, your photographer has gone home at that point so there's not even anyone to take a photo of you in your beautiful car exiting so at that point you know just call an uber or maybe you are staying at the same place where your wedding is being held like if you're getting married in a um, like hotel banquet room or something like that. Maybe you're staying at that hotel. So there's not even a point of having a getaway car because you're just going to hop in the elevator and you're at your place for the night. Uh, maybe you're going to an after party. Maybe it's not even a situation where the couple is driving off into the night. Maybe you're going like four blocks down to an after party. So the getaway car, not a great idea. However, if you are still into that whole fancy car look, you want to get some photos, I would say to use the car either for your ceremony exit or your ceremony entrance or your reception entrance. So basically just earlier in the day, um, make sure your photographer knows that this is something, hey, you know, we rented this really cool car. We'd love to get some photos in front of it or photos of us, you know, getting out, going in, that sort of thing. If you want to make it a whole moment where all of your guests are there, um, to see you either get in or get out of the car, you know, looking looking your absolute best. Um, that's cool. You can definitely work that into your timeline. I think a great time to do that would be that ceremony exit. So you've gotten married, you've walked back out of the space, all of your guests have come out now, everyone's congratulating you, you know, walking around, hugs, kisses, photos, and then you take off, um, you know, you jump into the car, that sort of thing, when everyone's watching, if that's your thing. Totally cool. I cannot really relate to this as I don't love the idea of everyone standing around watching me do anything. And uh, I'm not really into fancy cars. So <laughs> this one means nothing to me. And I would be very happy to skip it at my reception. Number five, the fifth thing that you can skip is fireworks. Um, I totally agree with this one. So first reason being, of course, that they are smoky and dangerous. So especially, you know, in my area, there's a huge wildfire concern right now. So anyone even thinking of doing fireworks at, during a summer wedding would be just the most... Um, Ugh, I'm trying to think of a word that's worse than dangerous, but just horribly dangerous and really like disrespectful to the communities that have had to evacuate because of fire orders and things like that. It's just a really, it's a really stupid idea to be um, intentionally setting off fireworks right now in this current climate. Of course, depending on where you are listening and when you are listening, this might not be an issue, um, but fireworks can still be kind of dangerous and smoky. You know, they disturb local wildlife and not even like, you know, the cute uh, raccoons and squirrels in the park, but also like local dogs. <laughs> Our dog hates fireworks and um, I would love if there were none that went off near us. There's also the issue of noise regulations. Perhaps you're in an area where like, you know, it's quiet hours after nine or 10. And if you start setting off a bunch of fireworks, uh, the police might get called or something like that. Your wedding could get shut down that would be the worst. Uh, fireworks are also very expensive, especially if you're getting the nice professional ones. And let's be honest, if you're doing this at your wedding, you're doing it because you want that wow moment that, you know, the end of um, whoever gets married on TV, like any of those bachelor weddings, I feel like they always end with fireworks. Um, so you want those like nice professional grade um, 4th of July kind of fireworks. You don't want the kind that people set off in their backyard for like $20, $20 from the convenience store. <laughs> you want the really nice ones. And those are very expensive. You might have to hire, you know, a professional company to come in and set those off for you. So that's a huge expense. Um, another thing that I don't think people think about when it comes to things like this, like fireworks or um, sparkler exits or things like that is you're asking all of your guests to leave the space. And it's, first of all, it's very difficult to herd that many people. 
um, it's, it's like, you know, they've, it's like herding cats. It's very hard to tell a bunch of fully grown adults, hey, I need you to stand up and walk 30 feet this way. Uh, so it's going to take a while to get everyone out there. And then it's kind of hard to get the vibe back. So if you're really hoping to have, you know, like this really bump and dance floor, it's difficult to be dancing for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then say, okay, we all need to stop dancing, go outside, watch these fireworks, you know, be oud and odd, come back in, start dancing again. Like that's difficult. If you've ever thrown a party or, you know, been to a wedding, anytime there is sort of a disturbance, I guess I would call it, or just like something changes, it's hard to get back. So um, for example, at another wedding I went to, the bar was really far away from the dance floor. And at first the dance floor was really bumping. You know, the DJ did a great job, played some like silly games to get everyone on the dance floor. And then there was a break, like the DJ took a break or whatever it was. So everyone goes to the bar. And then unfortunately it, it was just so far to get back to the dance floor. And by so far, I mean, probably like 30 feet, <laughs> maybe, maybe 50 feet max. Um, but that distance was so far that the dance floor was never packed again for the rest of the night. Like people just sort of wandered off, you know, they stuck by the bar, they found a seat outside near the bar, they sat back down at their tables, they, you know, went off and smoked cigars somewhere. So as much as I think, you know, having these cool dramatic moments like fireworks or sparkler exits or campfires, things like that are cool. Um, I think you really have to think about the kind of vibe you're looking for, for your wedding. If you really want all of your favorite people in one space with you on the dance floor, then you actually probably don't want to have all of these different distractions that take them away from that dance floor. So something to think about. All right, number six, I got to speed it up here. Number six is a giant wedding cake. That's something you can skip at your reception, the giant wedding cake. I think this is a pretty common one. A lot of people say this. Um, yeah, you know, big wedding cakes, they look beautiful. We see them on all of those like cake decorating TV shows on Instagram. They are gorgeous. I love cake as much as the next person, um, but they can really, really, really get expensive. I'm in a Facebook group, or I'm in a few uh, wedding planning Facebook groups, but most recently someone posted this gorgeous four-tier um, absolutely giant, probably like a good five feet tall cake with um, beautiful like stone marbling all over it and these um, sugar flowers everywhere. And they said, oh my God, my baker quoted me $2,000 for this cake. Can you even believe it? That's ridiculous. And all of the comments were like, yeah, of course we can believe it. Like that's how much wedding cakes cost. There's so much work that goes into them and making like four giant cakes, you know, having them set on each other, the artistry, the design, all of it. It's just, it's, it's a ton of work and it's very expensive and that's that's just that's the way it is so unless you know having that big huge gorgeous cake is really important to you um i would skip it there are lots of ways to sort of compromise here you can do uh, a lot of couples will do like just the top tier is real cake and all the other tiers are cardboard that is still going to cost you um a good amount of money because you're still asking your baker to decorate all the other tiers. And usually that's where, you know, the expense is really coming in. It's all of that fine detail work. So that'll save you some money, but not maybe not as much as you think. Um, you could also cut a smaller cake and then serve people sheet cake. No one's going to care. Like tons of couples do this. So what you would do is you get like a bakery to make like a really nice one tier cake, you know, just a small, simple cake. You cut it, your photographer takes a photo, then your caterer will sort of whisk the cake into the you know back room, and then they'll come back out with cake slices on plates, and everyone will assume, oh, they must have just you know that 
pretty cake that they cut. They must have taken it to the back and cut it into slices. No one's really going to notice that, hey, that cake that's supposed to feed 30 is somehow magically feeding 100 people. Or they'll just think, oh, they must have ordered a few cakes. They just, you know, took one to cut. But really, what you did is you went to Costco and you got a giant sheet cake for $29.99. And that's what you're cutting. <laughs> and those Costco cakes are delicious. So no one's going to mind. Um, you could, of course, just not do a cake. Uh, we're not doing cakes at our wedding. We're actually going to do jar cakes, So like cakes in a jar, um, which I think are super cute. And we found a great company that does them. They have the most delicious uh, mango cake and as well as a strawberry shortcake that I'm really into. And it's also super uh, sanitary and good for like these COVID times of not having to, um, you know, cut into a cake and cut slices and touch them and put them on plates. Everyone can just grab a jar, grab a spoon and like walk off and eat it. Um, of course, you can do all sorts of other desserts if you're not into cake, pies, ice cream, donuts, candy, whatever you want. The options are endless. And a lot of times your caterer will actually have dessert like included in their catering package. So you could probably just skip the additional wedding cake or additional dessert altogether and just go with that, whatever your caterer is providing. All right, number seven, they tell you to skip a long lineup of speeches. And I agree. I think guests get really bored when you have more than let's say four people speaking, making speeches. Um, the odds are if, you know, if you have a big wedding, most of the people are not going to know your speakers, like your maid of honor, who's gushing about that time in third grade when the two of you did this thing, or, you know, it's, it's all, it's a lot of inside stories. And I know the point of the speeches it's, it's for the couple and enjoy that moment. Soak it all in, but don't make your guests sit through half an hour, 45 minutes, a few hours of speeches. It's just really, really painful. Um, it's not nice for the guests and it really stalls the night. Um, people, seem to like to do speeches either like right before dinner or right after dinner. And that's when people are, of course, if you do it before dinner, people are hungry. Um, people don't have any food in their stomach. So, and they're drinking. So people might be getting a little rowdy. Some of those speeches might not go off the way you think they should. Um, if you do it after dinner, like you're kind of just, you know, that feeling you get after dinner where you're kind of full. And if you like got up and did something right away, it would be fine. But if you decide to sit, like you are just sitting for the next couple hours, you can't move, the fullness is really set in. That's what happens when you do those speeches. It's very hard to go from 45 minutes of speeches of sitting on your butt and just watching people talk who you don't know, and then to say, okay, everyone up, we need to dance. Like that's, that's a hard transition. So you're kind of stalling the night. And you're also taking up valuable time if you've only got so much time to do your dinner and your toasts and your cake cutting and your games and your dancing and all that. Like, do you really want to dedicate 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour to speeches? Probably not. And if I'm being honest, you probably don't have that many good speakers in your lineup anyways. No offense. <laughs> um, of all the weddings I've been to, never have I said, oh, wow, every single one of those speeches was really good. Usually there's like one or two speeches where it's like, oh, wow, that person did a good job. You know, they kept it short. It was kind of funny, but not embarrassing. I was able to relate to it despite not knowing them, not knowing who that person is. Um, and that's it. There's always a couple that I'm like, oh, do we really need to hear from that person? <laughs> like, here they go again. Uh, I'm being very judgmental about your speakers. I'm sorry, but you know what I mean? <laughs> you can probably think in your head right now, oh yeah, like so-and-so is actually not that great at public speaking. Um, so the way to do it, keep it short. The list of people that you are going to have speak at your wedding should be pretty short. I would say maybe um, a parent or parents on both sides. So you can either ask your parents to do a speech together or maybe say like, hey, you know, my mom and his mom are going to get up and do a speech each. I would say maybe one or two members of the wedding party. So you can have traditionally it's like the best man and the maid of honor, but you know, however you want to do it. I've been a part of some speeches that were like combined. So like me and the other maid of honor or me and the other bridesmaids would write a speech together. 
Um, some people also like to have like, you know, a sibling or another close family friend who's not part of the wedding party give a speech. I would say that's optional. <laughs> I would try to really limit it to, you know, two parent speeches, two wedding party slash special people speech. And then I do think it's important for the couple, um, the bride and the groom, the bride and the bride, the groom and the groom, however you want to identify to give a speech and not just one member of the couple, but for both of you to get up and give a speech together. And this can be very short. It doesn't have to be a big formal thing written out, but I think it's so important to actually stand up, take the mic and say thank you to all of those people for being there for you today and through the rest of your life. And, you know, whatever else you want to say, you can especially thank, um, you know, your parents, if they helped, if they contributed to the wedding or helped with planning your wedding party, give them a big thank you for all of their support. And then just thanking all of your guests for being there. And again, I think it's so important that both members of the couple get up and do this because traditionally, traditionally, if you go, you know, really far back, the only people who speak at weddings are men. It's the groom, it's the best man, and it's the father of the bride. And that's it. And I think that sucks. <laughs> I think the women need to be able to, um, you know, get the mic and speak, especially, especially because nine times out of 10, it's the women who are planning the wedding. Um, so it's kind of, it's kind of shit that the groom would stand up and get to say thank you and, you know, kind of take all the credit um, 100% the bride should be right there grabbing the mic um, and saying her piece. Another thing you can do is move some of those speeches to a rehearsal dinner or other wedding events. So if, you know, my suggestion of having two parent speeches, two wedding party speeches, one couple speech is like super limiting. You're like, oh my God, but we have three other people we really want to speak. Um, consider moving some of those. So you could have maybe one of the parents and one of the wedding party members speak at the rehearsal dinner. You could have, if you're having like a wedding brunch the next day, you could throw a speech in there. If you're religious and you're having like prayers or something like that, before dinner. Um, maybe there's someone you want to honor, but you don't really want them to do a full speech. You could ask them to stand up and do the prayer for you, to do a reading at your ceremony, that sort of thing. Lots of different ways to shoehorn in those other important people and their voices without having a super long lineup of speeches. All right, we're getting towards the end here. So number eight, the eighth thing that you can skip at your reception is favors. And I completely agree with this. If you head all the way back to episode 12, I did a little mini-sode called Do You Need Wedding Favors? And pretty much the answer is no. <laughs> Usually favors get left behind. If you talk to wedding planners, the two um, you know, most common things they'll see at the end of the night are a bunch of leftover favors and a bunch of leftover wedding cake. So ultimately, they end up being a waste of money because so many of your guests will either leave them behind at the reception or, you know, throw them out the next day in their hotel room. There's very slim chance that whatever it is you're gifting to your wedding guests is going to be, you know, something they really value and cherish and take home with them and keep, you know, on their bedside table. <laughs> um, to be harsh, nobody wants your name or your faces or your wedding date on something they own. I know so many people who are like, oh, do like, do those cozies, you know, beer cozies, and you can put your names and your date on it. Like, why? Why would your... <laughs> Why would your cousin Steven want to have your name and wedding date on the beer cozy that he's going to take up to the lake um, every summer when he hangs out with his friends? Like, it's just such a strange thing. And also, like, I'm sorry, I'm harping on beer cozies. Who really uses beer cozies? Anybody? I mean, I'm not a huge beer drinker to begin with, but like, if there's one there, I'll use it. But I'm not going out of my way to buy one or to bring one. And don't they usually come free in like packs of beer anyways? Ugh, sorry, I'll get off the cozy hate train, but, but the honest truth is no one does really want your name or date on anything. And I understand that's kind of the whole thing with favors. If you look up favors on like Etsy or Pinterest or anything like that, it's a ton of things like, oh, it's a matchbox with your date on it. It's a pack of mints with your date on it. It's a photo frame with your date on it. Like, 
nobody really wants those things. Nobody really wants a knickknack either. I've seen wedding favors that are like um, a notepad or, you know, things like that. Or like, oh, a little tchotchke you can like put up on your mantle. It's like, okay, nobody really wants that. Like you don't know people's taste. The thing with favors is you can spend a very small amount of money. Like there's really cheap ones you can buy on Amazon or whatever, but they're going to be kind of crappy. Like they're going to be things that nobody really wants um, with your name and date on them. Or you can spend a ton of money, um, but then you're out a ton of money, <laughs> which which you don't need to do because favors ultimately are unnecessary. Like you don't, people don't want the little thing you're spending 50 cents per person on. Um, and if you're going to start spending, you know, 10, 15, $20 per person, then you're really going to be out a ton of money to get these these favors that are that are incredible. And you don't need to do that because you're already giving these people such a great time with your reception, your dinner, your dancing, your drinks, all that sort of thing. If all this, you know, all this being said, you're still like, no, sorry, screw you. I want favors. Then my suggestion would be to do something edible. Um, no one's going to be mad about having like a really nice chocolate or something like that on their plate, something that they can eat right away at the wedding. It's not going to be wasted. Um, it's not something they have to take home or remember at the end of the night and keep in a safe space. Um, you know, I've seen some really cute ones people wanted to send home like candles or um, succulents or things like that. And those are awesome. And, you know, they're fun. People love candles. People love succulents. But it's still one more thing your guest has to remember at the end of the night to bring with them, to bring back to their hotel room, to pack into their luggage, to bring back to their house. Like, there's just so many steps. There's so many opportunities for your guests to say, ah, no, sorry, screw it. I don't care that much about this cactus cactus that I was gifted. Um, so something edible they can eat right away is really nice or something that's like hyper, hyper personal to you. And by that, I do not mean your name and your face and your date on something random. I mean, something that actually means something to the two of you. So for example, my uh, aunt and her husband, when they got married, they gave everyone a little bottle of maple syrup. So this sort of goes along with my rule of something edible. Obviously, it wasn't something people were eating in the moment. Um, you do have to bring it home to eat it, but still, it's edible. Um, but the hyper-personal part of it was that my uncle grew up on a maple syrup farm. So this was maple syrup from his family's farm. And all the labels said, you know, their, their names and their family farm. And that was, like, super, super sweet. And also, I mean literally super sweet, very good maple syrup. <laughs> to get fresh maple syrup from a maple farm is incredible. Um, and it, I think that was like such a lovely favor. Was it necessary? No, we would have had an amazing time. No one would have noticed if that wasn't there, but it was like a really nice little personal touch. And it was something that, you know, really represented the groom's family. So I think that was a good, a good move in that case. If, if you want to do favors, make it edible or make it hyper personal. Okay, moving on, getting off the favorite train. <laughs> the ninth thing this article tells you to skip is dinners that have more than three courses. So they're telling you to keep it to three courses um, max, you know, don't try to do one of those extensive seven course meals and that sort of thing. And I see where they're coming from. Um, it can get very long, especially if this is, you know, it's not buffet style. If, if you're talking about multiple courses, it's a plated meal. Servers have to come around and hand each person their plate, wait till they're done, clear all the plates, you know, wait till the next course is ready, bring it back out, start over again. Um, it, it can get very long and I can see guests get you know, getting very restless, especially if it's a situation where, you know, I've been at a wedding where the only other person I know at the table is my partner. And besides that, it's like eight other strangers. I don't really want to spend three hours eating dinner with them. <laughs> um, maybe you're more outgoing than I am. It can also get very expensive if you decide to do, you know, a really elaborate seven course meal. Um, and it takes up a ton of time. So I think this really depends on your priorities. If the main priority for you and your reception, you just want to have a great party, you want to dance, you want to be on the dance floor, you want to, you know, let your hair down, you want to run to the bar, you want to run around talking to everyone, then for sure, you're going to want to keep it pretty simple, you know, three courses max, 
you don't want to waste a ton of time on dinner. If, however, you know, you're really big foodies and you're having this more intimate reception, you know, it's it's 25 people at a long table in your backyard or it's 40 people in a private room at your favorite restaurant, then yeah, you know, go for it. And, you know, you're not having a dance floor. This is it. The, the main thing is this dinner. You're super excited to share your favorite food with, with your favorite people. Then why not? Like an 11 course tasting menu would actually be really, really fun. Um, and to be able to have that nice long time with all of your guests and to be able to, you know, talk, talk with them over the meal and share your foods together. I think that's a really cool, uh, cool thing. So it totally depends on the vibe you're going for. Um, another thing I wanted to mention on this is also like the cultural aspect. So I grew up going to a lot of Chinese banquet weddings. Um, and those are way more than three courses, like probably 10 plus courses um, by the time you, you know, you add everything in, but uh, they come out quick and they really, they have it down to a science. So I think the reason these um, Chinese banquet weddings work out a lot better than some of the um, plated courses um, in terms of length and efficiency is that all the Chinese banquet weddings that I've been to are it's family style. So the servers will bring out dishes and they'll place it in the middle of the table, usually on a lazy Susan, and everyone can kind of help themselves. So you're not waiting for, you know, people to come out and serve you individually. They also have no problem bringing out more than one course at a time or, you know, hey, it looks like you're kind of finishing up the first course. We're going to bring the next two or three. So it is a lot of dishes and it's, you know, it's a lot of food, but that's kind of like the appeal. Like that is the, that's part of the culture is having all of these dishes. And just when you think you're absolutely full and you can't eat anything more, the rice and the noodles come out for um, prosperity and long life. And you have to have some, you know, in order to wish the couple well. So it's really fun. And there is that cultural aspect. So I think, I mean, this goes for everything, but certainly when it comes to the meal, if there are aspects of your culture or religion or, or traditions that are important to you that go against some of these rules, like, you know, maybe in your culture, oh, actually we do one giant course, you know, it's not, it's not multi-course, then definitely do that. Screw, screw what insider.com has to say, screw what I have to say, do, um, do what works for you and what is meaningful to you. Okay. Number 10, they say you should skip dance floor props. And their argument is that, you know, those silly things on the dance floor, like uh, glow sticks and I don't know, masks and things like that. They look out of place with your really nice decor. And I say, who cares? <laughs> the point of having all those props on the dance floor, whether it is glow sticks or funny masks or I don't know, lightsabers or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's for people to have fun, right? Like I, when, if you've ever been to a wedding where they've sort of brought out some, you know, funny sunglasses or something like that on the dance floor, it's just a good time. Even if, um, you know, you don't really care about those things in regular life, you're on the dance floor, you're at a wedding, you've had something to drink, people are being silly and it's just fun. So who cares if it doesn't match with the floral arrangements and the curtains and the uplighting and all those things, like that's not the point. Those things are just for fun. Um, by that point, your photographer has probably left or if they have stuck around, they are taking those hilarious dance floor photos of people like making the funniest faces and trying to do the worm and things like that. And if the props are like spurring those fun moments, then then all the better. Like your photographer is not going to go around taking photos of like, here's a glow stick placed next to, you know, a beautiful vase of roses. <laughs> like that's, that's not the vibe. So I don't think it matters at all. However, I do agree that this is something you can cut. I don't think they're necessary. You can definitely have a great time on a dance floor without a glow stick, without a fog machine without a funny mask um but if uh if you see something you like and you know you had a great time at a friend's wedding and they had i don't know maracas or something like that then yeah go for it you know if you have the space in your budget definitely add it but i don't think they're necessary so no worries if you need to cut it 
Okay, last but not least, number 11, the 11th thing that you can skip at your reception is the bouquet and the garter toss. And I completely agree with this one. Um, heck yes, burn it all down. I absolutely hate the tradition of the bouquet and the garter toss. And if you love it, I'm very sorry. Um, you can fast forward a little bit here because I am not a fan and I'm going to tell you why. So first of all, it is singling out the singles. So the whole point of the bouquet and the garter toss is, you know, for the bouquet, again, this is extremely heteronormative because you have to be a man and a woman in this couple and to take part in the games. So the the bride will say all of the single ladies come, you know, come to the middle of the dance floor. She'll turn around and she'll throw her bouquet and whoever catches it is the next person to get married. And then in the garter toss, the groom will <laughs> put his head under the bride's dress, go up her leg and remove her garter with his teeth, <laughs> take it off her leg and then shoot it into the crowd of single men on the dance floor. And whoever catches it is the next one to get married. So as you can tell, the garter, there's a lot, there's a lot of problems with this whole thing, but a garter toss way more problematic. So first of all, singling out the singles. I think this is kind of, it's kind of shitty. <laughs> like, like no offense, but you're already sort of saying, the, the whole day is about you and your partner and the fact that you're in a couple and you've made this commitment to each other, lifelong love, amazing. Everyone there, happy for you. However, obviously, you know, weddings bring out some feelings. And if anyone is at your wedding and they are uncomfortable with being single or sad about it or whatever, like why make it worse for them to say, hey, not only are you single, but like, I need everyone to know. So please come to the middle of the dance floor so I can, you know, point and laugh at you. Um, or, or if people are like happy, single, proudly single, they just got out of a really horrible, toxic relationship. And now they're sort of, you know, made to feel bad about it. Hate it. It also makes it seem like marriage is the ultimate prize. Like if you are single, you are obviously just waiting around to get married. So like you better work real hard to catch this bouquet. So someone finally marries you, which is ridiculous because there are so many couples who don't want to get married. So many um, people who don't want to be in couples or who don't want to get married. And those are totally all super, super valid choices. So I don't, think marriage, as much as the day is about celebrating your marriage, that's a choice that you and your partner have made. That's not a choice everyone wants to make. So hate it. It also tends to get into really um, gross, like heteronormative, cliched, patriarchal tropes of like, oh, the women like are, are fighting for the bouquet. They just, they can't wait to, to get married. Whereas the men, oh, they're getting dragged onto the dance floor and like, oh, now you have to propose, you poor thing. Um, it's awful. Of course, the garter thing is just so icky. Like, I don't understand how we ever thought this was a good idea that the groom should put his head up the bride's dress and remove something with his teeth in front of all their friends and family. Like, grandma's there. Don't be doing that in front of grandma. Save save that for the bedroom. Um, and then this this garter, this, like, piece of cloth that she's had around her leg all day and, and the groom has had in his mouth, we're now going to shoot into a crowd of people? Like, ugh. It's gross. It's also like very unsanitary. Speaking of, you know, COVID issues, you probably probably don't want to do that. Um, I know people make all sorts of variations. People will say like, oh, you know, instead of um, having the garter like with his teeth, we're going to wrap it around a football and he's going to throw it into the crowd of single men or, oh, instead of, you know, a bouquet, I'm going to have some, like a $20 bill taped to it and we'll throw that. And it's okay. I get it. Like you're sort of, you're making some changes to it to make it a little bit more acceptable. But at the end of the day, it still is, in my opinion, a pretty horrible tradition. And it still is singling out the singles, making marriage seem like the ultimate goal. Um, it's an at an expense, you know, for your bouquet, either you have to give away your main bouquet, or a lot of florists will give you a toss bouquet. Um, but you are paying for it, right? That's an extra bouquet you are paying for even if the florist says, Oh, it's part of the package. Yeah, but it's built into the price of the package. <laughs> um, 
So I'm not a fan. Uh, it takes up time, you know, if you are trying to get on with dinner or get on with dancing. There's all this extra time because nobody goes running to the dance floor, in my experience, when they say, oh, it's time for the bouquet toss. Like, people have to get dragged out there, which tells you, like, why, why are you doing a thing that your guests have to get dragged into doing? Ugh, sorry, horrible thing. I'm almost over it, I swear. Um, I do believe that you can still have fun at your reception and you can still play fun games as much as I am. Uh, really shitting all over the bouquet and garter toss. You can totally do things like, like I think the shoe game is hilarious. It's super cheesy, but it's so funny. Um, people really enjoy that one. You can do the newlywed game. You can look that up. It's kind of like knowing trivia about each other. Um, there's lots of like fun dance games. I've heard like DJs will do things like name that tune or things like that to get people onto the dance floor. So there's so many options. I'm sure if you give a quick Google to like wedding games, you'll find a lot of things that are way, way better than the bouquet and the garter toss. <laughs> all right, that was all 11. Let me recap them quickly. So 11 things you can skip at your wedding reception. Uh, individual place cards, champagne toasts, trendy food walls, the getaway car, fireworks, a giant wedding cake, a long lineup of speeches, wedding favors, having more than three courses, dance floor props, and the bouquet and garter toss. So the bottom line of all of this is, of course, you do you. <laughs> um, do whatever you want. You know, keep all of these 11 things, get rid of them all, add 11 new ones. It's totally up to you. This is your wedding. Um, and especially when it comes to your wedding reception, there is actually no right or wrong way to celebrate. <laughs> like, like, it's just the party. You've already done the legal part. Like, there's some right or wrong things when it comes to the ceremony in terms of, you know, if you actually want to make it legal, there are some things you have to do. But when it comes to the reception, there's really not. Like, you can totally, you know, throw out the blueprint, do your own thing. Don't be afraid to skip things. Don't be afraid to add new things. Question traditions. If you walk into the venue and they immediately start telling you, oh, and this is where the cake cutting is going to take place. And this is where the first dance will be and this is where the bouquet toss will be question all of that be like actually no we're not going to have a cake we're not tossing the bouquet I don't want to do a first dance like that is totally all within your right it is your wedding yours and your partner's so as long as the two of you are happy then that is all that matters Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Unconventional Wedding Planning Podcast. I really appreciate it, and I hope you found the episode helpful. If you really want to make my day, you can leave me a rating and a review, follow along so you don't miss the next episode, and tell a friend about the show. Remember, you shouldn't be spending your wedding day managing other people's feelings. <laughs>